In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today, on the last day of the month of July, we celebrate the, the Feast of St. Ignatius of uh, Loyola. Ignatius had a tremendous influence on the Church, the history of the Church. He was born in northern Spain in 1491, and he lived in a very old castle in the Basque province of Guipuzca. You can imagine an old castle with battlements. He had uh, Twelve siblings, he was one of thirteen, a rather important family, wealthy, and uh, you can imagine him running around that castle, perhaps going off in the woods and hearing all kinds of stories, and already from a very young age, he loved all those tales of romance, of chivalry, these heroic accounts of great men, powerful adventures, sword fighting. These things captured his imagination and they probably would have been recounted by his parents and, and his siblings and aunts and uncles who came by there as they drank and enjoyed life. But at the age of 30, so this is now... 1520 in Germany Luther is going through his own doubts of the faith and struggles 1520 he goes into a military battle in the fort of Pamplona and there as you may have heard his leg is hit by a massive cannonball and it's just totally shattered. I think it's broken in three pieces or something and the, the bone is sticking out. It's horrible. And that really marked the very end, the end of that part of his life. And there he lay in a small little house, not the big castle that he was used to, trying to recover and enduring the pain with no sedatives or anything to help him through this recovery. There was nothing to do there except lie there and wait. And so he asked for some books, something to keep him entertained, but in this book, in this place rather, there, there was only a small New Testament and there were some, the book of the stories of the saints. And at first he reacted, this is, I'm not interested in this, this is not going to be my, my dramatic stories that I always loved so much, my chivalry. And, 
And uh, but nevertheless, well, there's nothing else to read, so I'll read this. And as he lay there in bed, suddenly, upon reading the stories of the New Testament, and then also the stories of the lives of the saints, he noticed how all these stories produced a remarkable peace in his soul, a serenity that he had not known before. And indeed he envied the serenity and uh, the love that was expressed in those, those great men and those great women. And of course, the beauty of the figure of, uh, of Jesus himself. He spent nine months there in Manresa and, and developed what you might call the discernment of spirits. And surely, among many of those saints that he read about, there were many stories about the love for the Eucharist. How they would have protected the Eucharist, how they prayed in front of the Eucharist, how they, they showed their, their faith in the Mass. And this also anchored itself deeply in his soul. And we too, as we do our prayer this morning, we too realize that the bread of life, the Mass that we are about to assist at, must have the same impact that those chivalrous accounts had on St. Ignatius, that they just lit him up, they set him on fire. And the Mass must set us on fire. It must fill us with wonder because it is in some ways a new phase in our life. I was explaining to a little boy about six years old a few days ago about what First Communion is. I knew he was going to do his First Communion and well, I brought him into the oratory there with his family and told him, you know, how do, how, do I, how do I tell him this great mystery? So, well, I pointed to the tabernacle, told him, well, this, you know, Jesus hides there. I think he can understand that. Little children, they, that's possible. Jesus is hiding in that little tabernacle, that little tent. They're innocent enough. They have a kind of a magical way of thinking as they are able to enter into other worlds. And he you got the sense that he pictured Jesus hidden there. No problem. That's no problem for Jesus. But sometimes you fear that they may un misunderstand the idea of eating Jesus. You know, you're going you're gonna to eat him. To use maybe words like the bread of life. Uh, but the bread of life sounds like it's just bread that is alive. But, uh, but in the end they don't. They don't have a problem. Because, especially when they understand that receiving Jesus is, is really an opportunity for them to have Jesus very close to their heart. Something goes into our stomach. He goes very close to our heart. He wants to be very close by. That's why we receive him in the Holy Eucharist. Like anyone who loves... He finds ways of coming close to us and staying very close to us. And this, this 
makes a child's eyes you know, go big like saucers. He wants to be close, he wants to be intimate, he wants to be close to your heart. And then, the same little boy, after I, I heard the, the confessions of all the family, the mother told me that when she was alone in the oratory with her children, her, her little six-year-old came up close to her and she said, and the, and the little boy rather said, Mommy, why, why is the altar so beautiful? And indeed, there were, there were flowers, there was lace, it was ready for the Feast of Corpus Christi. It was, the night, it was the day before, but it was in the evening or so. so you know. And uh, she told him, well, the administration had prepared that because it's a big feast tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he, he understood this was a beautiful place. I had a chance uh, to prepare a group of children for First Communion and found the example of Karl Wojtyla, and found uh, a picture of him in his first communion. That was a fairly common thing to to take a lot of effort to make good first communion photos. And his first communion was done in Wadowice in Poland in 1929. He was barely eight years old. And we see him there in this historic picture taken on the first day of his first communion. And he seems, as he's standing there, dressed in white, quite serious, holding the candle in his hand. But the way he's holding it, it looks almost as though he's a soldier. He's holding it like this. It's holding up. It's a long candle. It seems like a, like a sword or some kind of weapon. And he seems to have intuited the dangers that he will face. He looks quite serious. He looks like a soldier on guard. He's young, he's ready, ready to be on guard to defend Jesus, whom he's just received, to defend the church. But above all, it is as though he's on guard to protect Jesus in his soul in grace. Because he's just received him. And he knows he has been prepared to, to receive the living Jesus. And now he stands there on guard like a soldier. Not wanting any harm to his friend. And the only real harm is sin, indifference, lukewarmness, routine. So 1929 was a a year of joy for him because he received Jesus. But also it was a day of great sadness because that same year he lost his mother. He was in poor health and died. He was indeed very sad, but he, when he found out, as his father told him that his mother had died, you know the story how he ran to the church and he said, in front of a statue of Our Lady, said, you will be my mother now. And it was a way also for him to know that Jesus would always be close to him. Therese of, of Lisieux also has beautiful stories of her First Communion in 1884. 
and she describes it as a day of unclouded happiness. She describes it as a day, a moment of tr- where she received truly a kiss of love. And her description is marvelous as well, in great detail, as she was getting dressed uh, and then coming into the church in procession, singing this beautiful hymn, O Altar of God, where the angels are hovering. And she pictured, indeed, an altar with angels hovering around it. And she said that Jesus and her already understood one another very well. But on that day, it was a meeting. It was not just a meeting, it was like a complete fusion. We were no longer two, she said, but she said Therese had disappeared like a drop of water lost in the mighty ocean. And her joy became so vast, so deep, that now it overflowed and and weeping. It was indeed the kiss of Jesus. And so we, we ask ourselves, uh, in, in imitation of these great saints that we know, is there, do I experience the Holy Mass? And every time I go to communion in that way, in that intimacy, as the kiss of Jesus, as, as that intimacy, as that fusion, it's not the, the Holy Eucharist, the Holy Mass is not simply a sacrament, just another sacrament to be celebrated. Our Father wanted it, it to be the focus of our lives, the, the root and center of that internal renewal. Indeed, in an annual course we have renewal, we have rest. And what part of that had to do with the way I've been going to Mass these days in a different atmosphere, with the, with the place that we are here. Indeed, we have many Eucharistic norms, many occasions to enact this face, faith. Lord, I really want the Mass to be the root and center. Just by the way I went to bed last night, did I make, did I make uh, spiritual communions last night? as I lay there getting my rest our father said it's got to be the root and center of our interior life so is it a good root is it really a good strong foundation or is it like those badly rooted trees that would easily be uprooted and fall in any storm there were trees here that were that were here for years and uh, as well, not a huge storm, but a small storm. Or Anyway, a storm comes. They seem quite large. They seem quite looming with heavy branches and massive, you know, massive branches, really, and a, and a large trunk. But with a storm, they're uprooted. They fall down. And you can see that it's either the roots are not very deep or maybe the ground around it, which is, I guess, the foundation, and uh, you know it's, it's something that that our interior life is strengthened by the mass, by those roots. That is the mass. So that when we face a hardship, when we face 
face a, a setback when we face a humiliation some failure in the apostolate doesn't work out doesn't happen that person not interested I don't know or the temptation to discouragement is there a way of strengthening myself there we know that the, the motu proprio Pope Francis has not been particularly well received because it's, it seems by some, some people of course we know have invested so much in the mass in the care of the, the song the Latin the, and they all, all those things they say that it has helped them to pray <coughs> and we know that our, our father had grown up with that mass and he had invested so much in every you know every kiss every bow every inclination of the head every kiss of the altar that was part of the ritual of the mass that he had invested so much in but nevertheless when the new mass came with all its kind of its what was described at the time you know like it seemed like of course it was the mass but it it, it seemed to have taken away a lot of these elements that he had gotten so used to and that he invested so much love he nevertheless obeyed when those changes came why because something something deeply rooted like really the idea of the mass being the root and center of his interior life was really true it was not the bow that was the root and center of the interior life it was not that that movement or for that matter even the Latin or the I don't know the the things that make up part of the mass something more deeply there was something more deeply rooted the faith in the real presence faith in that root not only in the external mechanisms that in which he had already invested so much indeed one of the one of the most moving moments in the life of a priest is when he celebrates his first Mass. Of course, it has moving elements because the family is there, and um, you know many of those, let's say, external elements, the uh, family, the parents, uh, friends, so forth. But to be able to say those words for the first time, regardless of all the entourage or where you're celebrating, uh, Leaves a leaves a mark on your soul. Say right now, these words are that I'm saying are not my words. Or maybe said another way, I am somebody else right now. And that has to last. That, you know, and I, I was struck that the, the same year, the same year that I I received ordination, I saw that picture of Don Alvaro dated. March 22nd, 1994, where he's in the Cenacle celebrating Mass, which was the last Mass, his last Mass on earth. And I'm sure you've seen this photo. He's in a very small altar. I mean, it's much smaller than this one. He's with the counselor there in Jerusalem. Is with Don Javier. It's a poor altar. 
It's poor. Well, poor. It's not great. It's, uh, and yet this is the cynical, or at least very close to where the cynical was, if only a few yards away. And yet when you see him in that photo, you see how he is celebrating with such great devotion. Of course, he did not know that it was his last Mass. We've seen photos of his first Mass, which he celebrated with such devotion, June 25th, 1944. And here, he is with his last Mass, and both with great devotion. We have to have that. We ask that, Lord, now, give us that every day, whether it's the first time I go to Mass, or, or which you probably don't remember, but uh, until the last one. Cardinal Seurat has railed against those who make innovations in the Mass and who end up somehow truncating its meaning, who turn it into a community meal. He says, we get that sense sometimes in some parishes. He said, indeed, the Eucharist is not a sort of dinner among friends, a convivial meal of the community, but rather a sacred mystery, a great mystery of our faith, the celebration of the redemption accomplished by our Lord Jesus Christ, the commemoration of the death of Jesus on the cross to free us from our sins. The commemoration of the death of Jesus on the cross to free us from our sins. It is therefore appropriate to celebrate Holy Mass with the beauty and fervor of the saintly curé d'Ars, of Padre Pio, or Saint Josemaria. And this is the sine qua non condition for arriving at a liturgical reconciliation by the high road if I may put it that way. So he goes back to the saints. The same saints that you could say, well, these are modern saints, but uh, just like St. Ignatius was taken by, by the heroism of the saints that he read about and no doubt fell in love with the Mass by seeing them celebrate the Mass or receive the Blessed Eucharist, or the way they assisted at Mass. And that changed his life. It, it was the beginning of a new phase in his life. From being, let's say, less than, uh, less than saintly and, uh, you know, when he was there in, in his bed, I mean, he, he himself says he was a man given to vanities of the world so he says in his autobiography, I was a man given to the vanities of the world whose chief delight consisted in martial exercises with a great and vain desire to win renown. That was his main concern. And now I saw recently there's a, there's a Jesuit, I believe he's in, uh, I believe he's in, in Japan now, but he has taken to, to paintings and beautiful very realistic portraits of some of the first uh, Jesuit saints, among them St. Ignatius, and dressed in the way that he would have been dressed during his retreat at Manresa. And their, their stunning portraits are really quite impressive. It's a whole project, 
to to really give you an image of what uh, St. Ignatius would have looked like. And uh, this uh, transformation that happened to Ignatius can happen to us if we really live the Holy Eucharist, assist at Mass, as the root and center of our interior life, if it is well lived with faith and real devotion, with intensity, with openness to, to grace, one of the things that happens, of course, it like like those portraits of those uh, of those uh, Jesuit saints, like the like especially this portrait I'm thinking of now of uh, Saint Ignatius. It keeps our soul young and vibrant. It keeps our our piety vibrant. This is what happened uh, to Ignatius. His life was transformed. He went off into much greater adventures of, than the chivalry that he had read about. Do we can ask that, Lord? Uh, do I do I really have a young soul at Mass? Like Therese going to her first communion, our Father, who would always observe with unabashed fervor the anniversaries of that wonderful day. He said when when Jesus came and took possession of my soul that it was the day of his first communion How remember how he associated it that day of his first communion with getting prepared and how the barber burned, burned his uh, you know trying to trying to give him a curl or something like that and burned him and it was a painful moment for a young boy and yet he offered it up in penance for the preparation of that day he just didn't want to be like lose focus I don't want to lose focus Lord take possession of my heart not just my mind be close to me when I give thanks after mass as I get older and maybe more and more distractions come in there's the phone there's routine I can get used to the way I go to mass I can get used to in the very way I say the antiphon I can gloss over the readings. I can miss the point of the whole liturgy. I don't realize what the where I am. I can even gloss through the whole consecration. We know it is not a prize, but a remedy for us. Pope Francis has emphasized this aspect of of the Mass being a remedy. I suppose you could apply it to St. Ignatius, who lying there in bed, read about saints who loved the Eucharist, and this was for him a remedy. The Eucharist, he says, although it is the fullness of sacramental life, he said, Pope Francis, is not a prize for the perfect, but a powerful medicine and a nourishment for the weak. How do I experience that medicine? That that I, I am somehow sick that I lack faith so that I grow in that robust confidence in God always and so I ask you Lord you know give me that robust confidence so I never be effective you know by that infection of lukewarmness or maybe lack of apostolic drive or the fear of what they will say this you here are like a miracle drug that can heal me that can heal us and grant me that true stability in my interior life that you are really the root and center of my life our blessed mother
also, of course, is close to us in every Mass. As our Father would say, you know, the blood of Jesus is also you know, comes from, from Mary. So we ask her to, to intercede for us so that the Eucharist truly be the root and center of our interior life. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.